We're good to go. We are now officially recording. All right. So it's been a few weeks since we've met. Um, for those of you who, who don't know us, I'm Lindsay. That's Becky. Uh, and so, you know, I was just telling Becky before we started that, yeah, I um, so I work at a university in Boston and we just, there's just this, been this official announcement of officially going online with programs, in this case, undergrad, um, the graduate student announcement was made a while, was like maybe a few weeks back. So, so yeah, I mean, Becky, you were asking me about what is in that email. Honestly, it's a long email. <laughs> like, I know it has different sections on like first years, undergrads, like, you know, here, like, you know, international students study abroad. You know, I know that it has these different sections, mm -hmm. but it's also, um, it's also long and, and I probably will need more time to read it in detail, but this is also just coming at a time in higher ed where some schools have officially announced, maybe some haven't, or, you know, maybe they have announced and they're getting all types of feedback from students, parents, and other family members. Mm -hmm. What is going on on your end, Becky? <laughs> Yeah, so a couple weeks ago, we got an email from the headmaster at the school where I teach, and they said we'll have more information about the school's plan uh, the, in early August, um, which while that's not super helpful for planning purposes, at least it allows me to just say I'm going to continue taking some more rest until. So I'm just kind of thinking big picture. What concepts do I want to cover this year? How am I going to incorporate um, different types of activities. And I'm really trying to generate a lot of authentic resources um, that I can incorporate and create activities out of. So that's kind of what I've been doing up to this point is just thinking big, big, big picture and not about implementing that. But our governor is supposed to be having a, um, a press- oh, Wait, oh. For, con for context for people who don't know what state you're in. I'm in New Hampshire. Yep. So um, Governor Sununu is supposed to be having a press conference today where he's going to be talking about options for this year, which my hunch is it's going to be the same thing that we kind of got from our headmaster, which there's three plans, fully online, fully in person, and a mix of the two. Um, but that mix of the two has been a big issue where we haven't yet figured out even how that would roll out, especially for teachers who are parents especially for our parents or students' parents. Um, how would we manage childcare? Luckily, I'm in high school, so most of my students, if not all, um, are able to stay at home, but then they also then become caregivers for their, their siblings um, and all of that. So I had actually gone to a sewing shop yesterday and the woman who owns the sewing shop also works as a bus driver in Massachusetts. And she reported that she's been given information through the grapevine. So I don't know how official it is, but that they're likely not going to need her services until at least September, maybe later. So it sounds like mass might be delaying the start of school or maybe starting with remote only. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in Massachusetts. But um, yeah, we, we have no official anything up here in New Hampshire, so. I know I've talked to some teachers who've talked about how um, in certain towns, the YMCA is trying to provide interim childcare for students if they end up doing the hybrid approach where some days they're in school, some days they're out of school. So they'll rotate the kids basically between school and the YMCA, um, which I'm still not sure 
in terms of public health, how that will play out. But as far as providing childcare, that's a great option. But I don't know how good that is as far as public health goes. But we'll see. My fingers are crossed that we're honestly going to be doing an online approach. Um, I felt fairly successful this past quarter when we kind of got thrown into it. And I think I learned a lot and my colleagues did as well. And we're all kind of looking forward to being able to kind of build on what we learned and, and figuring that out. But it's the, the hybrid approach that we're mostly nervous about, I think, as a whole. But because. we're opt oh, because how do we do the online teaching when we have kids in front of us? Because if we're responsible for maintaining an online class while we have part of the class in the room, it's really hard to do that because you're constantly getting questions from the students via email or via text because we use an app called Remind for texting. Um, we don't actually have the students texting numbers and they don't have ours. That would be weird. But Remind is a really great option um, for providing that text support to students. And um, I mean, all day I was receiving messages uh, and I don't know how I'll be able to maintain an authentic relationship with my students online if I'm also providing them in-person support. So that will be something we'll have to kind of play around with. But I think teachers all across the nation right now are nervously sitting on the edge of their chair. And every time a school district posts a plan, it's immediately posted on the internet. And all of us are like, okay, so at least you have a plan. Now, how are you going to do that? Let's come up with solutions. So we're kind of all collectively working as this big national team. Um, at least in the different uh, Facebook groups I'm in, to help support teachers as they're figuring out solutions to this. Because we all want to teach, but it's coming up with how can we do that and stay safe? And not just us, but our families, our children and their families are, I mean, there's, there's so many layers. Yeah. I mean, layers. And like, you know, like I said, I, you know, people at my campus received a long email who knows, maybe there are exceptions, even though I'm saying, oh, 100% online, maybe I need to reread that email just to make sure, because, you know, and I really don't envy it, like education, either people in the K-12, P-20 world, you know, it's, it, it's so, we're pivoting every day. It's kind of funny, like, I know that within my own work, like, there's been all this goal setting, like, both personally and department-wide, but then it's also at a time where you know that whatever goal you're setting then has to like pivot with the times. Like I, I, I cannot tell you, like I think I got so sick of hearing the word change that I just wanted to stop saying it. So now you will hear the word pivot from me more, which is, I don't know. And it's, I, I just feel like it's, it's more um, fitting of the situation. Yeah, um, it really is. As someone who's worked in the ed tech startup world, it's all about pivoting. And that's why for me, even though it was incredibly stressful, like I'm used to this constant, like, okay, so now this is a new problem because we're a little company. We just started, we ran into a thing we didn't anticipate. Okay. How do we quickly resolve that? And I know that my startup background helped me so much in this new world that we were thrown into because I'm used to constant change. That's just how, and constant pivoting. Um, so for me, it was just kind of like operating as normal, but 
it was completely unanticipated as we all know. So it'll be interesting to see. Our school doesn't have international students as far as I am aware. I know we used to have a program and we were supposed to do a, a program with China this year, but I'm pretty positive that's been canceled. Um, but how is your school um, potentially handling the international student issue? Because I know the visas are now a concern. Do you have any? I, it's I would have to ask that. I would have to ask the person in charge. I mean, here's the thing is that when we were all working in person, I was in a neighbor, like maybe not in adjacent, but in a neighboring office of the global education office, which works with both international students and then also study abroad programs. But just in this virtual environment, you know, I'm not going to run into that person at the water cooler uh, or the bathroom, any of that stuff. So yeah. I don't want to speak for what is happening there. I can say generally with global partnerships, I have heard of other institutions where maybe it's a shorter abroad program. Maybe it also depends, like say, say if it's a potentially like you know, and again, this is like global education in general, maybe it makes sense for people from certain countries to go to other countries that where it's safer there, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe everything is a big maybe when you're talking about something that requires travel. I have also heard of the option of remote study abroad, which, um, but you know, but think about it, maybe there's a way because look, maybe there's a way to have an intercultural experience without actually going abroad. I, and again, this is maybe, these are things I've heard in discussion. I know you and I are both people who studied abroad and we understand the value of going in person. Mm -hmm. But imagine this, if you are someone who's currently an undergrad or a graduate student with an, with, and you know, you're going to graduate, like in your mind, you want to graduate by an X amount of time, then it, then like remotes. And if you want to study abroad, it's either, you know, maybe you don't do it because your particular program isn't considered safe anymore, yeah. or you at least have an intercultural experience. And if you think about it, that could be pretty transferable to like a workplace environment. Like, you know, as someone who works in career education, why, you know, why not at least get that environment of working with the global team? I work, or actually not I work, but like, you know, I serve on a board of directors for a global organization and, you know, we all have to learn how to collaborate with each other across different regions. I mean, maybe that's also another way to look at it. I'm not like, look, I, I know for people who actually want to study abroad now, this does not sound sexy. No. It's, it's not. It's not sexy. Well, also for freshmen. Um, I have a friend who her two daughters are getting ready to head to college this year. They just graduated 2020 graduation. And it was actually a really beautiful ceremony that they did. Um, but um, the one is going to be going to a community college and was planning on living at home. Things will probably be remote, but like, she's like, she's set. The other was going to be going to live on campus in Boston and the college is not allowing students to defer their enrollment now. And they're requiring all freshmen be on campus. And so if you're required to be on campus in downtown Boston and you can't defer, you have to reapply next year. So that whole situation and it, that is also a challenge because first of all I'm, I'm glad that these problems are all above my pay grade i'm, I'm glad i like i get to talk about them but i don't have to be the one whose name is signing off on the decision because there's no good there's no good answer that everyone is going to be happy with that's 
that's the crux of the problem here. You know, and I, I know we wanted to talk about another topic, but let me just say some of these last things before we switch to the next topic. Um, I think given the types of strong reactions that some institutions are getting now, and I get, I mean, again, like I am in some ways happy <laughs> that like I don't have to be the decision maker here. Um, the one day that would, you know, I would be curious to see what that's like to make these large scale decisions for an institution. I will say that, um, how do I say it? Like, you know, I, you know, I'd be curious to see like even a week or two from now, three weeks also as public health trends change in given cities or states, are we going to see a transition of plans, I would be curious to see how set certain institutions or, you know, public district, public school districts or other types of schools will be. Because, you know, as someone once said to me before, or like it was like a leader, of, like the former president of my university, you know, it was just this idea of, you know, the virus and you know like how like this is beyond people's control like we can all have our plans about what we see what we like our projections our plans based on those projections but no one knows until that time comes i mean yeah. we have seen how quickly the growth has been in certain states yeah um, so that's what i'm gonna say is like okay here is the plan right now that's how i look at everything regardless of what different institutions have been saying. Has your university stated that they're going to be online for just the fall, for the whole year? Is it? Is I don't, it I don't feel like reading that email again. Okay. I, I have you. to read it in more detail later, but, um, because our, people, our headmaster said in our, in the email that we received a couple weeks ago that said, I'll give you more information in the beginning of, of August. It was very explicit in the email that no matter what decision is made in the beginning of August, we all need to be aware that it is not a final decision and we will need to ebb and flow with the times. So that to me was really reassuring because I was nervous that a decision would be set in stone and then we wouldn't be able to pivot away from that. Okay, like this will be my last word and we could switch to the next topic for like about 10 minutes. I think, you know, that phrase you just used, used set in stone, nothing set in stone. Even if an institution or school district or other institution thinks that they have a plan set in stone, you really don't. No. I mean, I honestly think public health will will dictate whatever decisions are made in the future. We just right now know the plan right now based yeah. on the projections we have today. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's the reality whether people want to admit it or not. Yeah. I, I think there are going there this is a very a lot of decisions will take a lot of public will have to take into account preferably not well because sometimes it's a preference, sometimes it is a must, but I'm someone who believes it must take into account public health data. And then I also think ethics, depending on how people want to define ethics, and I think we're just entering a time where um, it feels ambiguous for some people to say the least. Um, so, I mean, you know, and here's the thing, we're dealing with a couple pandemics. One of them is 
um, COVID-19. The other one is racial injustice, specifically anti-Blackness in the U.S., and there have been global responses to that. Um, very recently, when you and I talked, you mentioned how um, how you felt like you are taking a very, like a more specific approach to the way you you address anti-blackness in your community and how is, and just speak more to that. Yeah, um, so I started thinking a lot about how could I more authentically participate in, in everything that's happening right now. And I think as each individual is working so much on self-education and learning about all of these things and all of their biases, and that's going to be a lifelong process. But since there's just so much to learn and so much for so much that needs to, to change, um, I started really thinking, how can I most authentically engage in this movement in a way that I don't feel like a white savior because I know I constantly am running that, that, that line. Like that's a really scary place to be because I don't want to be telling other people's stories for them. And I also don't want to be speaking over people. And that's something that I struggle with all the time. And I think that's just because of, I was a Girl Scout and I was very much raised in this idea of like going out and saving the world. Like that's what I wanted to do. I always have wanted to do good things and use my privilege. I didn't know that term I think before, but I've always wanted to use my, my power for good. So what does it mean? I became a what, teacher. So what I've decided to terms. do is that since I am a part of the LGBTQ community, um, I mostly identify as queer, but then I am bisexual, but I feel like that term has so much, there's so much pejorativeness that goes along with saying you're bisexual. So I've you know, embraced queer as a nicer way of talking about my identity. Um, I have really started doing a lot more work learning about the LGBTQ movements um, and understanding how how everything's the intersectionality between race and sexual identity um so i have been doing stuff before this within the community i, I actually help co-produce a tv show that features um transgender people and sharing their stories um but i've been doing a lot more thinking about that's an area where i feel much more comfortable and I don't feel like I'm constantly like tiptoeing and, and tripping over my words as much. So that's a place where I feel a lot more comfortable. And also as an educator, it's a place where I can authentically stand up. Like I have pins on my lanyard. Now who knows if we're going to be in person or not, but I have all sorts of LGBTQ pins on my lanyard. And I actually had a student last year towards the end of the year before we went remote. Um, and she told me that on the first day of class, when she walked in and saw my pins, she said in her words, at least this class was going to be safe this year. And I reflect on that so much and it makes me so sad because I remember feeling like that student. And I think that's why I made such a big point having the pins on my lanyard for the first day of class. Cause like all the classrooms have that, this is a safe zone, yeah. but there's so much more than just saying, I have a poster that says this is a safe zone versus I'm wearing this stuff around my neck and I'm gonna be talking about these issues because they affect me too. Um, so I, I feel like this is a place where right now I'm more prepared to be engaged. And I know I can have a really direct impact because I am part of the community. While I do have a ton of privilege because I'm white and I'm also married to a man, those things allow me to enter into the spaces a little bit easier, I think. 
um, because of privilege and access, but so I, I've been doing that now. So that's kind of where the angle I'm taking. So let me ask you, cause when you mentioned this, um, like, you know, it's interesting. I'm someone who has been in my fair share of diversity, equity, inclusion workshops, doing like some type of, you know, those exercises like finding common ground or a privilege line, um, you know, the take a step forward, take a step back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, you know, intersectionality. Like these are things like I think because, by virtue of having worked in education, service, nonprofit work, like this has been more a part of my professional development, say compared to some other people I know in other industries, even though this does apply to all of us regardless of industry. And what I found interesting is that sometimes when, when, um, these issues come up, like just say any type of diversity, whether it's neurodiversity, racial, ethnic, religious, um, you know, in this case, you know, a sexual orientation and gender identity and expression. Um, sometimes I hear, you, you hear people trying to make parallels, like say they're not black, right? They might try to make parallels and say, well, I'm part of X community. That's mm -hmm. not racial, but they might be in some ways similarly oppressed, marginalized. Um, I kind of found it interesting that you didn't, and maybe, I, that, like, I guess because that when you talked about it, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, well, you know, I experienced XYZ as a queer woman or as someone that's part of the LGBTQ community. Oh. It was like, oh, this is a community in which, yes, I do recognize that there's been marginalization, oppression, um, violence, but you didn't necessarily try to make it a parallel struggle. Like you were actually saying, no, I'm going to look in my community yeah. and so, think more closely about addressing anti-blackness and, you know, and, and, and yeah, how did you come to that? Because not, so, I haven't heard that a lot. I started thinking more about the idea of what flag can I fly? Like what flag can I fly to help make my students safe? What can I do to, to, to make sure that I'm working towards a more equitable world and the flag I can confidently fly and stand underneath and be like, this is me. I'm not just an ally, but like, this is me. And this is partly my fight um, is the LGBTQ flag. Um, and so within that community, there is so much anti-blackness, especially for transgender women of color, which we've talked about as well in, in, in recent, or in our previous talks. And so looking through, I've been diversifying my, my, well, I've been doing that for a while, my Instagram feed and chatting a lot with um, different, uh, particularly black and Latino LGBTQ folks and just thinking about what are the things you guys are doing? What can I do? What are we doing together? And just trying to amplify those voices as much as I can. So sharing things and, and finding ways to get involved. So um, we'll see how this plays out, but that's kind of where I'm at. Because I think what I tend to hear more from black folks, both, both those who identify as part of the LGBTQ community or like say Black allies of the LGBTQ community is that whenever Pride Month comes around, which it did this year, it's just the, hey, you know that Stonewall and all of those riots, right? Like, who did it start with again? Who are the ones who started it? Um, and then who, like, as this movement has evolved since then, who has benefited the most? And by the way, like, who, like, I haven't quite said it, but 
who has who did start some of those riots right yeah. like we know it started with black and brown queer and trans women well pride started as a riot right yeah so it's now turned into a party for starbucks to put flags on their things and target to have pride flags and it's all it's become so commercialized but it's there's still i mean they're trying to strip away healthcare access for transgender individuals and my one of my best friends is transgender and just thinking about her not being able to secure healthcare or going into an emergency room and being denied treatment because she's trans like that's that's terrifying. And I know that that's probably happened to her in the past because she's not been taken seriously when she goes in for things and stuff. So um, I thought we had made so much progress with respect to that specifically in the healthcare space. And it seems like we're now taking back steps. So um, working on, you know, raising those issues and writing all of the representatives and making my voice heard is what I'm doing now. Cause I feel like working in this space, it's so much more authentic for me and I feel more comfortable, but I'm also, I know that through this work, I am addressing the issues of equity and access. I mean, so yeah, you've, um, and just for people who don't know, so you like, you don't necessarily have to name the person, but you do work with a trans woman and, and she, she is white, right? You know, so, so then I think also then if we're now going back to your point of like, thinking of the anti-blackness in the greater LGBTQ community, um, like, okay, so there's the writing to representatives. Um, I think, is there anything else? I mean, writing representatives in itself is already um, something, but I guess what does it also then mean in how do I say this, in like the daily living experience of being part of the community? Because let's be real, with a lot of any type of like, um, I guess you could say activism or sometimes in the workplace, like diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging workshops, there's the, um, here's our, yeah, here's the event, or here is the book you read. It's very like, yeah. you know, he, you know which, which is important for any type of education. But then how does that then translate into a different way of approaching the community every day. Yeah, and I think I haven't totally gotten to that point because right now I'm so focused on figuring out how to incorporate it into my curriculum. Like right now I'm reading this book, Words and Actions. It's put out by um, ACTFL, which is our the American Council of Teaching of Foreign Languages, which should say world languages, but you know, anyway. Um, this book is chock full of really interesting ideas for how to incorporate not just authentic diverse voices, but how to cultivate a, an environment where your students are really comfortable in sharing their experiences so that they're able to reflect and grow and all of that. So I'm right now really focusing on that aspect of it. And I'm like saving tons of things that I'm finding on the internet and just putting them into a big folder of these are things I want to make sure that I bring into my classroom next year. So I, that's where I'm at particularly right now. Every day is just reading and learning and interacting with people online because that's the best we can do. Um, but really thinking hard about how am I going to incorporate LGBTQ voices, especially um, LGBTQ people of color, because again, that's my, that's my like area where I feel most comfortable. Um, and I feel like I'm a little bit more able to speak to the issues. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I <sighs> challenging stereotypes and, and 
also calling myself out on the fact that I know I've played the role of white savior. I know that I've done a lot of really not okay things because again, I'm a product of, of our society. So, also, you know, I would say for myself, like, you know, cause I think we, yes, we're, I think sometimes we talk about racism, people of color, but then also for this movement, it is also specifically anti-blackness. Um, and I do want to acknowledge that, oh, what do you know? I'm getting pinged right now. Um, so I, I'm probably going to have to leave in a minute, but, um, I would say that, you know, I also think, you know, people of color, whether they're queer or not, you know, whether they're LGBTQ or not, I think everyone, like, in these groups, like, if you're non-Black, if you don't identify as that, we all have to think about the ways in which our communities have not stepped up, yeah. have not spoken up, um, and I, and so that's where, you know, I had a conversation like this with a, another Filipino woman recently, just of the, um, you know, even recognizing um, you know, she was saying, like, recognizing that how sometimes she, again, it's that whole idea of, like, having parallel experiences to Black people, or at least you think so. They may or may not agree with you. And yeah. then you having to acknowledge, no, right now, this is about them. Yeah. Like, like, yes, I may have experienced my own, like, like, you know, yep. racism, discrimination, oppression, violence, but no, no, like, yeah. it's their voice to be amplified right now. Um, and we, of course, there will be other opportunities to talk about racism or discrimination more generally, but yeah, I, I did want to have this discussion with you because I recognize, and yeah, we really will have to get off in a couple of minutes, but I do recognize how, um, you know, there are those of us who come from different communities and yes, maybe we do have identities that in ways are, you know, marginalized, minoritized, oppressed, persecuted, you know, experiencing violence in some way. But this may not always be the time to, this may not be the time. It actually, it, it's not may not. This is actually not the time to like emphasize the parallels, but again, focusing more on the anti-blackness. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's your religious community, your sexual orient, your sexual orientation and gender community. It's so big that if we don't work within the communities in which we self-identify, we just burn out. Like I was total burnout because I was trying to figure out how to save the world single-handedly. Yeah. And that's, we can't do that. And so to be most effective, you need to figure out where can I have the biggest impact immediately? Where, where, am, where do I exist and how can I analyze the anti-blackness in that space and so that's where I'm at right now is really just looking at all of the incredible voices that are within the Spanish specifically because I'm a Spanish teacher so I'm focused on well, how am I doing this in my classroom but Spanish speaking LGBTQ people who are of color and and talking about the interest of race like there was a huge blow up on Facebook mm -hmm. about the word Prieto and oh. I found such a good yeah. article about that and I know you have to go yes yes these are the things that I'm thinking about ways yeah. to elevate these conversations with young minds and having open conversations and dialogue oh for sure for sure um and so yeah I do have to go now but it was good to see you and see and, you. and yes we will talk about this some more you have a good one take care you too. Bye. Bye-bye.